Hello and welcome to the Left Field Shout. My name's Joe Greenwood. I hope you're all doing well this week. Uh, I'm doing well, by the way. Thanks for asking. Uh, this week I'm talking about Jacques Demi, the French filmmaker uh, who came to fruition, came to prominence, I should say, in the late 50s, early 60s, uh, with some absolutely stunning homages to American cinema. I, I picked five films of his that I think are key. Um, I didn't quite want to go into his whole back catalogue. One, because I haven't watched all of them. And two, it would have been quite a long podcast <laughs> to listen to. Um, and then there's also uh, listener questions uh, later on in the podcast. Uh, yes, so let's get straight on to it and get chatting about Jacques Demi. During the late 50s and early 60s, uh, France was experiencing a bit of a revolution when it came to their cinema. Um, a group of new directors, all educated on American cinema and having written for the French uh, publication Cahiers du Cinema, um, all started making their own films. Uh, Jean-Luc Godin, of course, was the first real name that sort of came from it with uh, Abu de Souf. Uh, and then soon he was followed by the likes of Francois Truffaut and Agnès Varda and Eric Romer. And they were influenced by American B-movie directors like Howard Hawks or even to a certain extent Alfred Hitchcock. And they sort of rebelled against French cinema, sort of the parent... Um, against the films that they decide, described were for their grandparents. Uh, in fact, the only French filmmakers that they respected were was Jean-Pierre Melville, who continued to work through the 60s and um, sort of embraced this idea of the French New Wave. Um, what they did uh, was that they took American genres and gave it a French spin. Um, they deconstructed the genres either through uh, narrative or through editing. Um, Abu de Souf is, of course, very famous for the jump cuts in the film. Um, through and they were very much influenced by the sort of American B movies and also jazz. Um, a lot of the films were did have a lot of jazz scores, and it had this sort of like improvised sort of nature to it that um, jazz has, even though it was very much rigorously prepared and they knew exactly what they wanted. Uh, in sort of a rebellion against rebelling was Jacques Demy. He was sort of a standout from the French New Wave in that he revered American cinema, 
and American genre movies and went about almost recreating them uh, in French cinema. Uh, whereas the likes of Godard would take a genre and break it down, uh, Demi would almost do a straight homage of these films. The first of which, his first film as a director was 1961's Lola. The film was a homage to the sort of Max Ophel's uh, melodrama of the 40s and 50s. Um, the film follows Roland as he is a sort of jobless man. <laughs> he has no job, he has no money, and he runs into his ex-girlfriend, uh, Cecilia, I think her name is, uh, who is working as a dancer at a cabaret club under the name Lola. Uh, she's a sort of single mother with uh, a child, uh, and she sort of has hopes that, that the father uh, of her son will return. Um, and the film is very much big on the sort of emotions that came forward through uh, the sort of American melodrama that Ophuls was really sort of unmatched in. Um, if you look at something uh, from his uh, Letters from an Unknown Woman, the camera and sort of score almost soars at the same time. Ophuls was very much known for this sort of, for how he moved the camera around uh, the set. Um, really sort of was quite spectacular even by today's standards um, whereas when the emotions would sort of rise up as would the camera it created this feeling as a viewer of actually being lifted up yourself um, it's quite incredible and Demi goes about almost recreating exactly that feeling that you would get from Max Ophel's film um, it's a quite spectacular uh, debut and it, it has this very much this loving appeal of the women in these films despite what their life situation is they're sort of looked at as these great beauties that can inspire you to make something of yourself and will bring you a huge amount of pain but also equal pleasure within the, that pain it's, um, there's something kind of sadomasochistic about the women in Lola and uh, the work of Dem um, the work of Ophuls. Um, it is a great sort of concoction that Demi mimics here very skillfully. Um, but he, I say mimic, to and that kind of does Demi a disservice. He does give it his own spin. Um, it's, it's almost as if, like, whereas Roma and Truffaut and uh, Goddard were taking uh, American genres and were giving them a French spin. It felt like with Demi, he was taking French characters and giving them an American spin. It's a sli slight and subtle difference, but it's very much there if you compare the two, um, if you compare their work. Um, the, his uh, second film as a director, uh, Bay of Angels, is even more overt in its uh, genre appreciation. Uh, it's very much a homage to the film noir of the 40s and 50s. And it's about this addiction of illicit behavior. Um, it follows Jean, who is a bank clerk, and uh, a woman that works there, Karen, uh, 
is a very much addicted to gambling and it's about uh, sort of being dragged down into sort of an addiction into a that you didn't even know that you had um, and in much of these sort of film noirs of course there's a femme fatale uh, as played by Jean Moreau who plays Jackie who uh, sort of seduces Jean even further he sort of seduces him to her and to also the casino and to the lifestyle of being a gambler uh, this film clearly had an influence on sort of the 70s filmmakers in America and most overtly in James Toback's The Gambler. Uh, but uh, as with Lola, Demi takes an American genre and just simply transplants it to France. He doesn't really fuck around with the, the tropes of it. He's very much in love with the genre and he kind of wants to make the French more American. Uh, it's it's it really does make for quite a special film. I feel like it, it, he uses the sort of black and white uh, photography of noir and kind of lightens it up in some respects. But there's this sort of loving quality to it as well. You can tell that he's in love with the genre and as such kind of falls in love with his own characters. Uh, whereas in a sort of Fritz Lang. Uh, noir, or or in a sort of uh, Robert Siermak, uh, or Billy Wilder sort of noir, you can tell that there's just this underlying anger at it. Normally, came from sort of immigrant filmmakers who wanted to sort of fight against fascism that they ran away from. Um, whereas with Demi, he didn't really, he hasn't not really running away from anything. He's embracing it. Um, and he really, there is, that's a common thing throughout all of his work, this sort of embracing of genre and of America as such. It's almost as if he's living the American dream more than actual American immigrants. J'avais tellement peur de ne pas te trouver Je suis si d'être avec toi Maintenant je ris parce que je me rends compte combien je suis bête quand je suis toute seule. Parlé à maman Now Demi's next two films are for me his best and it is his two spectacular musicals that he did. Uh, the first of which was The Umbrellas of Cherbourg um, taking its cues from the classic MGM musicals of the 40s and 50s and the work of Stanley Donan and to a lesser extent um, Busby Berkeley um, you can kind of tell that Demi has more in tune with Stanley Donan and Gene Kelly and the sort of slightly jazzier um, musicals because Kelly did sort of uh, infuse along with Bob Fosse this more of a sort of jazz style uh, dancing to the numbers and with The Umbrellas of Cherbourg was also Demi's first colour film and boy does he go for it with the colour, and boy does he go for it with the genre, where every line of dialogue is in fact sung. Uh, it is just continuous music. It's, it's a continuous musical. There are no moments where they have to sort of do the dialogue in a normal, in a, quote, normal fashion, and then build back up into the musical. They just sing the whole film. And it is an absolutely incredible 
feat because it never gets tiring. It's always moving forward and it always has this sort of continual motion. I mean, as someone who is a huge fan of musicals and when the BFI did their two-month uh, retrospective of the MGM musical, I went to quite a lot of them. And with some of them, even though I was enjoying it, I did find myself sort of looking at my watch saying, I don't know how many more verses are to these songs, but with this, it's it's really skillfully done. It helps if you have Michelle Legrand uh, doing the music. Uh, it, it's it's quite incredible what he does, uh, and also the story is just so beautiful and heartbreaking. Um, the story of uh, of Genevieve, who's uh, is played by Catherine Deneuve. Uh, whose lover has to go to war and fight for France and leave her behind in this small town. And it's about this idea of losing a love not through your own choice, that you lose something which could be the making of you, that could be the greatest thing that ever happened to you, and it to be, taking aw be taken away from you. And the film builds absolutely superbly throughout. It's just so heartbreaking that these characters that there's this sense of compromise whereas the MGM musicals were ultimately ended in a positive note you know there was always that kind of happy ending quality to them all this is kind of it's not a happy ending but it's not a sad ending it's just an ending that we sort of life continues past these loves that we had past these you know, these missed opportunities. And it's about that thing of, you know, trying not to dwell on your regrets. And it's a really powerful conco concoction for a musical. second musical and it's my favorite film of his and also in my top 10 films of all time is uh, La Demoiselle de Rochefort uh, aka The Young Girls of Rochefort. Uh, unlike The Umbrellas of Cherbourg um, not all of The Young Girls of Rochefort is done via the medium of song. There are those scenes where they sort of come down and have their dialogue sequences but Demi really has sort of mastered the genre by this point. Uh, Umbrellas of Cherbourg is a superb film. There's no two ways about it. But for me, The Young Girls of Rochefort is just that little bit more special. The use of colour is fantastic. The sort of charcoal pinks and whites and sort of cream colours that he uses creates this really sort of otherworldly sort of quality to it all. The film follows two sisters, uh, Delphine and Solange, as played by in real life sisters, uh, Catherine Deneuve, who of course was in 
the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and Francois Dorliac. And uh, Delphine is a dance teacher in Solange. It's a composer and sort of teaches piano. And much like the Umbrellas of Cherbourg, it's about potential love, about those potentially life-defining moments. You know, these boys who sort of come in out of town and this dance troupe that comes in out of town sort of offers these two girls a way out of this town. You know, Rochefort is a very beautiful place, but they ultimately want to be in Paris and they want to be creating and be around like-minded people. They don't want to be just getting by as they currently are and being in the same town that they've always been in. You know, it's about that eternal thing that's... Uh, that film, that many films are, are about, which is about breaking free of your comfort zone, breaking free of where you are, of what you're perceived to be, your limits. And Demi just handles it absolutely superbly. I mean, it helps if you have Gene Kelly in there as well. Um, clearly, um, not knowing how to speak French and speaking French, he, I think he learned how to do it phonetically and just learn where to put the emotion on each word and where to put the stress and the emphasis. And he does it really superbly. But the choreography and the songs are just... It's just so wonderful and so life-affirming. It's its really just so... It's a special film. It, it's Yes, it's sort of sugary and sweet, but of course there's that bitterness that just hides underneath it that, well, you know, I might miss out on something but it could be a huge mistake and it sort of tells you that you know what is life without making huge mistakes you know you don't really learn anything about yourself unless you do make them the last film i'm going to talk about with demi is not his best film i would say it's certainly one of his most surreal um yet again starring catherine deneuve i'm talk about the 1970 film donkey skin and with this Demi goes all out with his appreciation of Walt Disney and um, Jean Cocteau's uh, La Belle and La Bette Beauty, Beauty and the Beast uh, that was of course was the first version of Beauty and the Beast and this is sort of homage to Cocteau in that he's sort of coming up with his own take on the genre by doing the first version of a classic fairy tale this is a french fairy tale from from what i know um that has since never been done again and i can sort of understand why because it is truly surreal um sort of follows a fairy godmother who disguises a girl so that she doesn't have to marry a man that she doesn't love, but she disguises her as a donkey. And it's utterly bizarre film. Uh, but again, Demi's control on design and staging is so masterful. And the use of colours, yet again, uh, really quite, quite incredible. And much like his other films, it's that thing of just transplanting an American genre, or in the case of this, well, you know, it's both an American genre and a French genre uh, like Beauty and the Beast but taking that sort of Cinderella quality the sort of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs uh, Walt Disney animation and um, sort of taking it to France it's Americanizing French characters 
and it's certainly a flawed film, but it's immensely interesting and um, and one that I'm surprised hasn't or isn't talked about as much as it is. It's really quite wonderful. I wouldn't put it up there with Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, but it's certainly worthy of at least reappraisal, I would say. It's very much uh, something that no one else within the French New Wave did or would even thought to do. And that's what I sort of makes Demi so special to me is that he would kind of do the uncool thing. He would be quite traditional with his genre selections, you know, doing a classic MGM musical and not really fucking around with it. He just loved them so much, he just wanted to keep making them. And and whereas sort of Demi may not be the cool choice of filmmakers in that he didn't overtly influence style in the way that Goddard did, he is undoubtedly one for the heart, I would say. He's very much, if you're a sentimental type like myself, then... Je ne sais rien de lui et pourtant je le vois Son nom m'a familier et je connais sa voix Souvent dans mon sommeil je croise son visage Son regard et l'amour ne font plus qu'une image Il a cette beauté des hommes romantiques Du divin Raphaël, le talent imité Une philosophie d'esprit démocratique Et du poète enfin la rime illimitée Je pourrais te parler de ses yeux, de ses mains Je pourrais te parler de lui jusqu'à demain Son amour c'est ma vie Mais à quoi bon rêver L'illusion de l'amour n'est pas l'amour trouvé Est-il prêt Est-il loin Est-il à Rochefort Je le rencontrerai The Left Field Shouts is a part of the Holdfast Network. The Holdfast Network is a podcast network where you can listen to high-quality podcasts such as Southland and Hardcore. As hosted by Jack McEnroy and Steve Walsh. As it says in the title, it focuses on South London. Uh, this week's episode is on the Imperial War Museum. Uh, I haven't listened to it, um, but it's it's a great podcast. It's really quite tremendous. Um, I haven't listened to that episode, I should say. Uh, I have listened to the podcast. Um, Jack and Steve have... They, they do a very good job, I must say. Um, and they even got written about in The Observer which was quite something. That was quite a trippy moment. Um, so, yes. And then there's also Process, in which creators dis- the, discuss the mechanics of comics with Steve Walsh from the South London Hardcore podcast. Um, I haven't listened to this latest one with Lord Hook, um, but it's... You know, if you, even if you're not a huge fan of comic books, I think you would like it. Uh, I, I, I highly recommend it. Uh, quite a bit. And then there's also Forward the Hamlet, a podcast all about Dulwich Hamlet Football Club. Um, oh, I can never remember who hosts that, but it's worth a, it's worth a look if you're into uh, lower league football. 
or um, other things like that. I mean, I only really like Tottenham. Uh, I don't really care about other football teams, so that one's not really for me. But it might be for you, you know. You might become a Dulwich Hamlet fan if you start listening to it. Um, also, on, sa- on South London Hardcore, on the Holdfast Network, you can also submit your ideas for podcasts. You know, get in touch if you have, you know, an existing podcast that you'd like to submit to Holdfast or if you have an idea that you'd like to develop with us. Uh, I say us, I mean with Jack. I mean, I'd have nothing to do with it. Um, so, you know, if you have your podcast about wine or, um, you know, wrestling, wrestling, that would be a good one. Uh, I actually do have an idea for a wrestling podcast, but hasn't come to fruition just yet. Um, what else? So, yeah, so submit the, your podcast idea to Holdfast Network. You go to holdfastnetwork.com forward slash slash submissions. Uh, and you can you have to put in your name, your email address, and just a message just telling us about your idea. I, ke- I keep saying us, telling Jack about your idea. Or you can email at holdfastnetwork at gmail.com. Uh, so, yeah, Holdfast Network. It's, it's got some really good stuff on there. Bien plus que la raison, le cœur est le plus fort. À son ordre, à sa loi, personne ne résiste. Et je n'y résisterai pas. Ma petite, je ne crois pas que ce genre de garçon traîne dans les rues de Rochefort. Pas en ce moment. Ok, let's get to. As I always say, my favorite part of every episode, listener questions. Uh, let's open this up here. What have we got? Why did you like Interstellar so much? I found it to be hokey, maudlin, and at times a bit boring. Um... I also found it hokey, but I felt that it earned those moments of being hokey. The, the truth is, was that I was just so totally blown away by it um, on a number of levels. First off, visually, it was just stunning, absolutely stunning. Um, the effects were just superb, and even not even just the effects. There was the brilliant shot, uh, this brilliant sequence when they're chasing that drone and they drive through. The uh, the fields of corn, and it's almost like a Terence Malick movie. It's like Days of Heaven, um, just so um, just visually striking. And uh, Nolan has such an amazing control of language. And then also like the dust storms um, as well were amazing. There's the brilliant sequence where she uh, the daughter left the window open, and the dust comes in, and uh, they. There's that sort of the stream of light that comes through. I, I mean, that seems quite pivotal in the film, but uh, in the moment, it was just so w- amazing just to look at. Um, and then also narratively, it's just so impressive that the fact that they went that far, they went, <laughs> you know, they didn't really cop out. I mean, the last ten minutes I found were maybe just not. They weren't very well handled, I don't think. They were, it was a bit... 
it was a bit much. Um, and when we were, and when it started happening, I was like, oh god, okay, fine, I'll go with it. I've enjoyed this so much that I can forgive this ten minutes here. But I just thought it was absolutely incredible, and just thematically as well. Just the idea that what will ultimately be our saviour is our need and passion for discovery um, and then also the idea that love can be a driving force um, uh, in the middle of these quite even during the most difficult of times it can just be this absolute saviour for us I just thought it was so incredible and then the idea you have these absolutely huge macro ideas and then on a micro scale it's also the whole film is just ultimately about a father and uh, and daughter it's about this relationship which is strained and you know is damaging but ultimately ends in a place where they both want to be um so yeah, it, I mean, I get why people don't like it. It, it. it was very sentimental at times, but I'm all for sentimentality, particularly when it's earned. That's kind of the problem I have with Spielberg. Um, I mean, there's the sentimentality of Close Encounters or Jaws, which I kind of, which I love because it's so well earned. But then, E.T. from minute one is just designed to be sentimental and hokey, and ultimately, I thought it was a bit bullshit to be honest. Um, that film, um, and I, I ultimately think. Spielberg's sentimentality is his crutch that he can't really get over. Or maybe, he, oh, well, I mean, he did it with Munich, uh, where that was just absolute brutality. Uh, but, yeah. Anyway, let's move on to the next question. Okay. Uh, was there a particular film you watched as a kid which was the point you decided you really loved film from there on? Which film was it and why? I think I mentioned this before on the podcast, but one Christmas when I was 14, uh, my dad got for me uh, The King of Comedy, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Raging Bull, and I watched them all on Christmas Day. I watched Cuckoo's Nest, then King of Comedy, and then it was Christmas dinner, and then I watched Raging Bull, and it was just transformative. Um, That was kind of the moment where I decided kind of subconsciously that movies were really the thing that I cared about and it, even though I don't like the term cinephile it was kind of where it started um, but as a kid it was there was two movies that I was really obsessed with as a kid uh, one was uh, Beauty and the Beast the Disney animation uh, which always made me cry <laughs> always made me cry probably still would if I watched it now as an adult uh, but just the songs in it were so great as well and um yeah that that was a that was a big one just sort of watched it every day and i watched that film pretty much every day but the film that i did watch every day and my mum rented it from the library uh no from my blockbuster i don't even think it was a blockbuster i think it was like uh, an own brand video shop in newport was um and we'd rent it every week to the point where the guy said, you should just buy this. And so my mum bought it for me. And I watched it every day after school, sometimes a little bit before school. Uh, it was The film was um, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, the uh, the Disney family film with Angela Lansbury playing a trainee witch. 
<laughs> who has to take in these children during World War Two uh, from the city who like come to uh, the countryside. And um, yeah, I just loved it. I, I I can pretty much remember the whole film beat by beat, um, and it was just so great. Like the the songs in it are so catchy. It's I mean I'm, I prefer it uh, quite a bit more than Mary Poppins. I was never a huge Mary Poppins fan. I I, I liked it, but Bedknobs and Broomsticks that was the one for me. Uh, it just, um, I thought it was so great. Um, yeah, that was the first film I became obsessed with as a kid. Um, then another one was, uh, Ocean's Eleven, the Soderbergh film. That was like the first grown-up movie I think I saw at the cinema. My dad took me to see it. And, uh, yeah, I watched that VHS a lot. I, yeah, I had it on VHS. Even though DVDs were about, we weren't that. We didn't have enough money to get a, a DVD player and DVDs. Um, yeah. So I think I think really it was those six films were kind of the important ones for me. Alright, that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Left Field Shout. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. You can submit your questions to the podcast. You can either just at me on Twitter, where you can follow me. Uh, I'm at the piss off. That's piss spelt P-I-S-S. Uh, and you can also you can also send questions in. You can send your questions to holdfastnetwork.com forward slash ask Joe. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, next week we've uh, got an episode all about Listen Up Philip and The Colour Wheel, two films by Alex Ross Perry, and we also have our first guest of the series in Charles Oliver. Really good guy. You can follow him on Twitter at, at Charles Fair. Fair spelt F-A-R-E. Uh, so that'll be next week. Uh, and yeah, I hope you enjoyed it and I hope to speak to you again. Uh, have a nice week. <laughs>